Can we block sunlight using airborne particles to fight climate change without hurting people and the environment? Scientists in the Global South are now stepping up to study the effects of this technology, including how it interfaces with a deadly disease, malaria. This is the Eco Business Podcast. I'm Liang Lei. Solar geoengineering, where aerosols are sent into the sky to block the sun's light and heat, sounds far flung, but some believe that in our era of runaway global warming, we could need the technology sooner than expected or are prepared to. So research in this field is ramping up. And today we'll hear from a climate researcher, Professor Atta Hussein from Pakistan, who wants to know how such technologies could affect the spread of malaria in South Asia. The mosquito-borne disease has been receding in recent years, but it still affects millions and kills over 10,000 people annually across Asia. Professor Atta is the head of the Centre for Climate Research and Development at Comsets University Islamabad. His research into solar geoengineering is one of 15 across developing countries that have recently received in total nearly a million dollars in grants from a UK-based non-profit called the Degrees Initiative. The idea is that the global south, where climate risks strike the hardest, must know what the risky technology means for them and be able to make informed decisions on its use. We'll talk more about Professor Arthur's research, how it can help South Asia policymakers, and whether sun deeming is a technology we should take seriously today. Great to have you on the podcast, Prof. Arthur. Thank you very much. Prof, tell us a little bit more about your research. You know, I'm curious to know why do you decide to focus on linking malaria with solar geoengineering specifically and how your study will be conducted? Okay. Uh, during past approximately 10 years, I have been working on the uh, climate change of uh, Pakistan and the impacts of climate change on various uh, sectors that uh, affect our uh, nation and in South Asian countries directly, such as the agriculture, health, and these uh, effects. But as you know, carbon dioxide is very uh, stubborn gas. It stays in the atmosphere for approximately 100 years. So what we have produced as of now is going to stay. In past 27 COPs, a lot of uh, progress has been made. However, it is well still below the uh, required level. So uh, clearly the question or the ideas of uh, alternatives to, to reduce the impacts of climate change, negative impacts of climate change is coming to mind. So uh, solar radiation management is one of the way in which we inject the, the, the sulfur particles, sulfur dioxide, SO4, extra in a way up in the atmosphere, around 25 kilometers vertically above the surface of Earth. And then it, it reflects a small fraction of the incoming solar radiation, around 1% or like this. But it can lower the temperature. As of now, it is more or less at research stage or hypothetical stage. Now, uh, malaria is a tropical and uh, subtropical disease. Uh, th there are uh, many uh, deaths and uh, the sick persons due to the presence of malaria in uh, South Asian countries particularly and also in Africa. Uh, so there is a legitimate and clear connection that how we can have the estimates for uh, the consequences of climate intervention, which we uh, one way is the solar geoengineering on the this uh, tropical and subtropical disease that is malaria. I see. And for your research specific to malaria, what are some of the factors you're looking at? Um, is it things like temperature or rainfall or extreme events, etc.? 
the uh, malaria and the climate change talk to each other when there is a growth of larva. So, uh, uh, and uh, when they hatch inside uh, somewhere outside in, in uh, the eggs, the water temperature is uh, a very relevant factor and the presence of uh, very presence of water itself. So, uh, and the natural uh, or uh, fresh water comes from the rain or precipitation. In higher elevation, it is called precipitation, which means all type of ice or snow, etc. And so uh, I have looked at the consequences of uh, increase in temperature as well as the changing pattern, uh, rainfall on the malaria incidence. The current uh, understanding is that it, it tends to shift towards north of Pakistan. I see. And I, I was going to ask, you know, what's your initial hypothesis on how um, solar radiation modification could affect the distribution of malaria in South Asia? I mean, is it a uniform northward shift or would there be, you know, pockets of different, um, different you know, trends that we are expecting to see across the region? Yeah, this is a good question. And uh, we are working on it to uh, provide the detailed risk maps for uh, South Asia. Okay, uh, for example, uh, what are the South Asian countries that are vulnerable to climate change? We are considering Pakistan, India, Nepal, Bhutan, Bangladesh, these countries. Okay, So uh, all these have in the north mountainous ranges. So uh, in uh, climate change, we are expecting that the malaria shift towards the northern region of these countries. Now, if we can have the solar geoengineering, then the northward shift will be slowed down. So this is one impact of the solar radiation management on malaria in these South Asian countries. Prof, there's one more question I wanted to ask you. In fact, I was just reading up today morning and I read that, you know, some strains of malaria spread best at cooler temperatures of around 25 degrees Celsius. So I've seen a global study done on the Nature Journal that said that preventing climate change will actually increase the rate of malaria transmission in some regions. Is this a significant trend that you're expecting in South Asia too that could factor into you know, how policymakers should consider um, the effects of solar radiation modification? Yeah, this is a very important question that needs to be addressed thoroughly. For example, in the southern part of the India, there are uh, hotspots for the malaria. So if we have the solar radiation management, the hotspots will uh, stay there because temperatures will not rise uh, so much. Okay? And uh, there is a range for the uh, temperature over which the larva feels more comfortable, typically between 16 to 20, uh, 29 degrees Celsius, at, uh, like this one. So more detailed study at the level of the Union Council, we call it Union Council or a smallest uh, uh, administrative division where the instructions from the, the policy makers or decision makers pass on in the form of implementation. There the it is needed to have the estimates because some regions will have the cooler temperatures, some, uh, some are going to have higher temperatures. So this distribution has to be looked on. I have uh, looked at these papers that have uh, recently came up, but they are very general, the global ones. They do talk about the impact of uh, solar geoengineering on malaria. However, detailed studies are needed to understand how each individual region uh, or climatic zone within Asia has to be dealt with. I see. So it's really about providing the detailed, you are saying the detailed geographical information for sub-national governments to be able to act on, whether for them to know, you know, will I have an increase or decrease in, in malaria? 
That's right. Because, uh, for example, if I take the example of Pakistan, we have the arid region in which there is very little rain okay, and very high temperatures. Then we have in the north, uh, very, very cold temperatures. So both uh, regions uh, have very different uh, uh, environmental conditions for the occurrence of malaria in the northern region as of now this is the same case for india and uh, nepal as well we have very little or no occurrence of malaria but if we continue with the current trend of temperature rise and uh, with the changing patterns of precipitation then we will uh, going to have the malaria in these regions also so a uh, clearly a, a plan uh, and then the execution for the uh, mitigation of uh, malaria disease need here because uh, this is how we can reduce the economic burden on the uh, government, local governments I'm curious also, you know, I'm wondering uh, the contingency and risks around how we use solar geoengineering part of your studies. Um, for example, I think one big fear is that, you know, globally, if we start on solar geoengineering and we suddenly stop, climate change is going to come back fast, right? Um, would you be looking at how that would affect the spread of malaria in South Asia? Yeah, clearly, this is a question that is being discussed in uh, uh, the modeling community. It, the one solution is that we do not terminate the solar geoengineering management uh, abruptly. We do it slowly so that the termination shock or the sudden uh, rise of the temperature doesn't happen. And also, we have to look for the uh, consequences, what happened to different type of circulations in the upper air, how is there... Uh, distribution and this is a very in general uh, question that needs considerable dialogue and understanding it is just like the reduction of carbon dioxide for example in pakistan contributes less than one percent of the global carbon emission however we are in the top three to five countries that are most vulnerable due to climate change and climate change and carbon increase in the air are the two things that are very much connected to each other. We all agree. So the point is that uh, we also have to have a similar kind of thinking, understanding and uh, uh, communication as we have in the case of uh, reduction in carbon dioxide because this uh, solar radiation management is again a, a transboundary and uh, global effect. And Prof, you've gotten a grant via the Degrees Initiative, right? How much help is that in enabling your research? Yeah, there are two aspects. First is that uh, the money matters. Uh, se several students uh, or, or young early career researchers get attracted and get supported for uh, from the Degrees uh, grant. And secondly is that uh, it is a continuation or expansion of what I have been trying in past 10 years to build the nucleus of uh, trained uh, professionals in climate change who can provide the impacts of climate change on various societal sectors. So currently this is being funded uh, through uh, for the uh, impacts of solar radiation management on malaria. Right, I see. And Prof, when are we expecting results for the malaria study specifically? Is it in one or two years or is it going to be a long-term study? Well, uh, typically, uh, I expect to uh, be able to um, have discussion on this uh, aspect in the second half of uh, this year, 2023, uh, uh, through the publication of uh, results, as well as through uh, national uh, conferences, uh, where we explain that. So within first year, uh, which means uh, and, and towards the second half of 2023, I expect to have few uh, initial clear results about the 
uh, impacts of solar radiation on malaria in Pakistan in general and uh, in the South Asian countries as well. Really looking forward to that. In the meantime, Prof, let's zoom out a little to talk about people's perception on solar radiation management or solar geoengineering, not just specific to malaria. How much do people in South Asia know about solar geoengineering and what do they think about it? Okay, for this one, uh, there, are, there, there have been some progress in the past few years. Let me summarize. It can be divided into two aspects. The countries that are more developed like uh, uh, Japan, like uh, South Korea, like uh, uh, Singapore and other countries in uh, whole of uh, Asia, as, uh, partly also China, uh, where the perception of climate change, its uh, awareness in the uh, society is uh, well-founded. Conversely, in the rest of the countries, the information and context uh, is not so much well uh, uh, grounded for both levels, education, general community, as well as for the policymakers. So we have, for example, conducted a survey uh, um, in three uh, countries in the uh, global south. One of them was from the Asia, South Asia is Pakistan. So generally speaking, uh, those who are aware of uh, climate change impacts are uh, no more than 30 to 40 percent of them are aware of uh, solar geoengineering. Less than 30 to 40. Is that a good number for you or do you feel that it needs to be way higher? Okay, now there are certain limitations and we have to think over this one. Uh, of course, all surveys have limitation. We have selected a very small group and only one country. So this uh, has to be expanded. We have ongoing discussions with the, our uh, funding partners that we need to expand it. We need to know the perception of the uh, education uh, institutions as well as the policymakers about the solar radiation management within Asia, for example, within South Asia. And uh, secondly, more awareness uh, has to be communicated to them. What is its significance? What are its uh, risks? And uh, what should be our position uh, on the discussion table? Right. And I, I was going to ask about that too. So, I mean, for the 30 to 40% of people who know about SRM, do they support it or are they against it? This is another good question. They do support the experimental stage of the uh, solar geoengineering. And uh, also, they are also of the opinion that this is not an individual problem and it has to be solved collectively. And the countries, th those who have already worked on this concept and are discussing the technology and these aspects, they should be leading. However, the role and contribution and the uh, impacts uh, on the uh, societies in the global south must be very clear. Right. And I, I suppose this is where you come in to, with your detailed research on malaria, right? Prof, uh, there, was one, there was one thing from the last year's I, IPCC papers that I remember, in which I think one of them mentioned that um, for, for, for perception on solar geoengineering, it seems like developing countries are more receptive to the technology than people in developed countries. So what do you think about this? And it, is it a kind of a cause for concern that those most affected wants the technology, although we do not fully understand what the technology may bring. Yeah, I, I, I think this can have many uh, bases for the, there can be several bases for this uh, question. For example, the heat waves 
the floods, extra uh, impact the South Asian countries uh, in a much more devastating way as it happens in uh, other parts of the uh, globe, for example, in US, in uh, New Zealand, in Australia, in UK. So the concern is legitimate. They are more concerned that these uh, problems should be resolved. And uh, the faster they go, it is better that they bring up some technology that can have uh, some uh, backing from the bottom up of these countries. Mm, I see. But let, let's bring it back to South Asia. Is South Asia ready for deployment of um, solar geoengineering, say, today or in the short-term future if the world so decides to? Um, if not, then what are the key areas they're still missing to prepare South Asia for such a reality? As of now, as I have talked to the think tanks that provide the policy support to the decision makers in these countries, very little information is available in terms of evidence for the solar geoengineering impacts. So this is exactly the gap that I, that I felt and that I decided to fill. However, as you can see, I have only selected, for example, the uh, health sector. And in health sector, only the uh, disease that is impacted by climate change, the solar geoengineering aspect. So the point is that uh, much more work is needed to understand the consequences of solar radiation management before uh, the de decision makers can make decisions on how uh, their uh, preferences will be if uh, this technology has to be implemented. However, again, there are very uh, important questions that need to be deliberated and have, there should be clear governance uh, structure for them internationally at which latitude one has to inject these, at which times of the year, what should be the loss and damage policy for this one. The, all these questions are still open-ended and debates are still going on. So it will be a little somewhat uh, premature or somewhat too early to say that uh, is uh, South, Asian, uh, South Asian countries are ready to go for this one or not, because still there is no... Uh, technology that is effectively that can effectively be implemented to demonstrate its effects. Right. Essentially, there's too much we don't know both on the technology front and you know the consequences front. Essentially, right. That's right. Um, Prof, how important is it that voices from South Asia is represented in the global discussions that you mentioned on solar geoengineering? The point is that uh, South Asian countries are the most uh, vulnerable countries to climate change. So knowing their opinion and how their economy will get impacted in coming decades due to climate change and due to the intervention in climate change is very important for the governments that are there or they are going to come in in, in, in next decade. So this is very important that those who get impacted directly because of the geographical situation, because of the society setup, lifestyle, all these factors contribute dominantly. So, and also these are the most populous regions and have the, uh, for example, highest mountain range, deserts in um, several of the countries uh, at the same time. So uh, these uh, impacts need to be uh, known. Otherwise, again, it will have the very slow down effect, just like we have in the case of reduction in carbon dioxide. Right, I see. What are your thoughts on whether the world needs solar geoengineering or not um, at this stage today? I think you've mentioned it here and there throughout our discussion, but I just wanted to hear it. You know, what's your personal view on this? Generally speaking, uh, as far as the principles of science are concerned, all possibilities need to be considered. Uh, for the uh, 
impacts of uh, for reducing the negative impacts of climate change solar geoengineering is one possibility and in this one we are considering for example or we are more advanced in having the understanding of uh, sulfate injection but there are also other possibilities also there are unexpected or unwanted consequences of solar radiation management also exist, such as the acid rain, no contribution towards reduction of carbon dioxide, no contribution towards the acidification of the oceans. So we have a kind of uh, compromise or balance. So uh, this we still have to carry it on research-wise and also in terms of the hazards that it poses. All the community, even those who are, in fact, uh, uh, not in much favor of solar engineering, they do support that research must be done to know the consequences. And by research, it means, for example, at this stage, doing numerical experiments on the computer by, by knowing, uh, having integrated the uh, current knowledge and understanding of science and then doing experiments to know if in the uh, how the things are going to change for a specific country in a specific uh, se uh, sector. So this has to be continued uh, extensively as uh, a very large community is already engaged in this one. Right, I see. But, you know, you, you, you mentioned that um, those who are opposed to uh, solar geoengineering today, they, they generally agree that more studies need to be done. But there's, I, I believe there's also another group of um, naysayers, if I may, who say that, um, you know, solar geoengineering needs to be done at a global level, right? Very well coordinated. But they are not confident that in the world today, we can see such high levels of cooperation, um, you know, looking at the geopolitics and how things are today. I mean, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, by definition, solar geoengineering uh, is a global problem. It has to be solved globally. Uh, we do have, we can see that some progress is there in terms of the reduction in carbon dioxide, carbon trading, carbon credits, many such aspects do exist. Okay? So the point is that similarly, the new concepts and new ideas are going to evolve from this aspect also. But again, the bottom line or very important message here is that uh, it is a not a complete solution okay? uh, the, for the climate change, uh, reduction in the climate change impacts. It just reduces the surface temperature only. So uh, in general, the holistic solution is, is still the reduction in the carbon dioxide. The progress is need to be made in this direction. However, through this uh, solar geoengineering, perhaps some time can be by in reducing the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere because the progress is slow. And as you mentioned, there are uh, dispar large disparities uh, in terms of the governance, in terms of the political structure, in terms of the uh, financial aspects. So these uh, all things uh, will continue to uh, remain there. However, alternative uh, solutions will continue coming. I I'm just wondering, Prof, you know, from our discussion, it seems like is solar geoengineering something that, if possible, you would rather not see implemented? But it's just that at this stage, you feel that it is becoming inevitable that we will need it. So this is the right time to get engaged. And uh, I have uh, discussed with the several uh, think tanks and uh, policymakers in the South Asia and in within Pakistan as well. So they are getting uh, familiar with this uh, aspect. So, uh, but the, there is still a kind of a communication, a communication gap. One has to explicitly demonstrate uh, for them what are the consequences, uh, how the agriculture, uh, which is a dominant part in this uh, Indian subcontinent, 
uh, economy wise is going to be impacted by the solar geoengineering so uh, these clear um, impacts need to be uh, tabulated and have to be communicated to the uh, policy makers and decision makers so that uh, they become aware and they start uh, making uh, flexibility in their uh, planning to have this uh, aspect of solar engineering as uh, part of the uh, climate change mitigation. Right. So it goes back to we need the data, as, as I think we've mentioned a lot of times in our conversation, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, that's been a great conversation about your research specifically on malaria, the risks, the benefits, and also you know whether we should have solar geoengineering or not, and what other considerations. So that's been Professor Atta Hussein, head of the Center for Climate Research and Development at Comsets University, Islamabad in Pakistan. Thank you so much for this conversation, Prof. Thank you very much. This podcast was hosted by EcoBusiness, Asia's leading media company serving the region's sustainability community. Join the conversation at eco-business.com. Follow us on social media and subscribe to our newsletters. Thanks for listening.